0: Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? I feel like I'm at a better point of familiarity with some of you. It's my third time here, so I'm not introducing myself as much anymore. I'm having small talk with some of you before the service. This feels good, so I can... I can actually say to you guys, "Hello, friends!" And may I be the last to wish you a very merry Christmas and a happy new year. I hope and pray you had a fantastic day with uh, your family and friends. Um, Maybe some of you, like myself, had multiple celebrations. So if you're an overgrown kid like me, that feels great having multiple Christmases. That's that's great. Um, The blessed time with family and friends, of course, and good food wonderful time together. Uh, However, uh, it goes without saying that there are others who are less fortunate. Um, This is not to be seen as thinking about the needy. Uh, I've used quotation marks because that that becomes almost like a flat character sketch in our mind. We think of the needy, right, out there somewhere. But no, these are real people, and they're in our own real communities, and they're across the world. I think of uh, the King family in Pennsylvania, who yesterday, uh, well, technically yesterday morning at 1 a.m., somehow with a mishap with the Christmas tree, not to scare anybody, their house burned to the ground, killing three family members. Christmas morning, right? Um, I think of a friend of mine, Neil, whose dad uh, is um, in the hospital suffering uh, with COVID and has um, oxygen therapy. It's a sudden turn for the worse. Uh, And I think of many more like that. You guys all probably know people like this. Uh, We worship from a place of familiarity this morning. We worship from a place of tradition. We come on Sunday and we worship in public, right? That's just what we do. Day after Christmas, okay, we're going to go to church. We're going to do it. We know it. That's what we do. These people, these people worship from a place on their knees, Physically. May we also, likewise, without such circumstances, also worship from our knees. I know we just prayed. I'd like us to take a moment to have a prayer for for those who are in maybe less fortunate circumstances than us today. Uh, Health challenges, financial calamity, a year that just seemed down. Maybe it was a year full of downer moments. Uh, We will not get into the uh, adequate place of Emmanuel, God with us, which we'll discuss in a moment, if we're not on our knees before the Lord physically, mentally, and spiritually. So if you would join me uh, with a word of prayer uh, for those who are less fortunate in circumstances. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that it is a gift. We, We thank you, Lord, that this is a gift that truly does keep on giving. It is the true gift that can be eternal for those who are in you. We worship you, Lord, not in just the Christmas season but year round. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that your character is unchanging. Your character doesn't bend, it doesn't break. We thank you that your character is so much different than ours that you as you said to the prophet Isaiah My ways are just not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And yet, you also say that you know the number of hairs on our head. You know, Lord, you intimately know what is going on in each of our lives. Lord, we are all naked and just exposed before you. So because of that, Lord, we voluntarily, through the power of your Spirit, come to you. And we ask for your grace. We ask for your mercy. We claim the promise that you are there and ready with your grace and with such mercy in time of need. Lord, we pray for those who are in circumstances that are just different from ours today. It can, be, it can change in a minute. It can change at the quicker than the snap of a finger, where the faith we profess on Sunday has to be lived out on a Monday through Saturday, that it just by human circumstance is absolutely abysmal. Lord, we pray for those even in this community. Perhaps children from a severed marriage. Perhaps those severed marriages or the marriages on the rocks. We pray for sudden loss of loved ones. We thank you, Lord, for health scares that turned out to be just a wonderful case of having faith in you and there was healing for Christmas Day. We praise you for that. But Lord, above all, may we pray for strength for these individuals and their families in this time. Because we know, although we don't always apply it because we're broken, Father, we know that in such difficulty, there is great strength and great hope. We don't want to acknowledge it, Lord, and we we, we ask your forgiveness for this, but we don't want to acknowledge Paul's... uh, insight through the holy spirit that suffering is often the key because through that we draw closer to you father if we know individuals like this in our lives help us to know when to speak and when to not speak it is not always the time to speak it is always the time to pray Father, we take time to give thanks for our circumstances. If that we had an uneventful holiday, we had a wonderful Christmas, then thank you for that, Lord. May we draw closer to you through that as well. But above all, as we read your word in a moment, may we understand what the true meaning of Christmas is. Lord, be with each one of these people here today. I don't know all their names, but I pray for them, each one, that you would guard their hearts, that your angels would watch over them as you promised through your word. And as you say, Lord, my my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And no one who comes to me He'll be cast out, and I will raise him up on the last day. Lord, his life is tough, as it's challenging, draw us forward in your grace towards that last day, sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Let us learn from your word. Let us not hear from me today, because that would be a waste of time. We are here to hear from the King of kings and Lord of lords, our Prince of Peace. Bless this time together, Father. Speak. We will listen, and we will follow pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, Merry Christmas. Uh, as I so eloquently told somebody the other day, accidentally, uh, Happy Christmas and Merry New Year. So, very good. Uh, as we go on to a new year, it's the time where we often have the New Year's resolutions. We, um, we have the typical ones, usually pertaining to weight loss, money, doing better, and just get, some of us maybe just getting through another year, maybe breathing to the next year, 2022. But we're not going to talk about resolutions today. We are still going to cling, as I'm an old soul towards Christmas, we're still going to cling towards the message of, of Christmas, that for super traditionalist people, right, who are very scheduled in their mindset, you know, that ended yesterday, and now we, we start a new season today. Retail stores are already into Valentine's Day. I, I couldn't believe I was very sad, very, very depressed about that. But um, we are going to talk about the meaning of Christmas. Americans love Christmas. Let me pull up something for you guys. There, these are some, some hilarious known or unknown facts about Christmas. Uh, our, we Americans love our Christmas. A total in America of $1 trillion is being spent on all things Christmas. Includes presents, food, decorations, lights, paper-to-write wish lists, and rewrite and rewrite and who knows what else is going on. Twenty-one percent of Americans are actually gonna go into debt because of Christmas. If any one of you here is one of that 21%, please come see me afterwards. <laughs> Eight out of ten homes have an American homes have a Christmas tree. Nobody knows why, but we all have them, right? under 30 million, just under 30 million, real Christmas trees were sold, as opposed to 21 million fakes. So by a mere 9 million, real trees won out this year. Congratulations, real Christmas tree fans. Most common argument in a family, according to a study by Gallup Resources, says that most families and individuals and couples, married or unmarried, will argue about the Christmas tree. So if you want to start an argument, Christmas tree is a good way to start, according to Gallup Resources. Thank you, Mr. Gallup, whoever you are. Popular nativity scene has actually been originated, fun fact for you all, cool historians, since A.D. 1223 has been reenacted. It started as a play, and then apparently people got lazy and just made it out of cardboard. So that's what we're doing. We're not reenacting it anymore. Christmas itself is first recorded by our good friend Emperor Constantine. He did many good things for us as Christians, as believers, and Christmas apparently is one of them. He celebrated in 336 A.D. You get the picture, right? Americans, we kind of we pride ourselves on knowing our Christmas, but do we really know our Christmas? Millions celebrated yesterday without even knowing why they celebrated. You picture that? I know I know some of these people. They celebrated, did all the gifts. I know people that did this that openly don't believe in Jesus. Not Christians, forget churchgoers. They're not even Christians at all. And they're still celebrating all of it. Millions celebrated that. Every year, more and more Christians. And this is not just a study, but this is confirmed in my own life when I talk to people. More and more Christians become less and less realized or understanding what Advent even is. Someone's, uh, oh, what's Advent? Is that the calendar? The chocolate calendar? Oh my goodness. Church becomes a time of uh, public worship and just a worship service rather than the people of Christ living out their lives each and every day under the common call of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Churches, I didn't even bring up a stat because it was just too depressing, but churches are closing their doors. And they're closing them like wildfire everywhere, all across denominations, all across the, the country. Over 80% of pastoral students, students that are studying towards ministry, whether preaching, worship, theology, etc., over 80% will abandon the ministry, vocationally speaking, within 12 to 18 months after finishing their degree. Bibles lay in waste on the shelves. And I am not speaking about Bibles that aren't being read. I'm speaking about Bibles that aren't applied don't even get into the the numbers of the Bibles that aren't being read. The church remains silent on social and life issues. Not that that should be paramount, the number one thing, of course not. But we fear the offense of everyone instead of focusing on the holy and awesome fear of the audience of one who is our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Alpha, Omega, and Prince of Peace. I don't know about you, but I feel like, although not individually, I feel like, in general, we can say that the meaning of Christmas is being lost in our culture, in the world, and I do believe a growing phenomenon within the church. We were created for more, weren't we? We are different than all creation. We have the capacity to, maybe in a small glimpse, small glimmer, understand what we're doing. We have, we're not just uh, mindlessly obeying God. We have that capacity. as humans created in God's image, separated, of course, by sin, but made for fellowship and praise for God Almighty. Saying all this, what is the meaning of Christmas? Well, here we go. Take your Bible and turn with me. Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54, looking at verses 4 and 8. We're going to be hopping a little bit. This is a a different style of sermon, maybe, than some of you are used to. This was a uh, type of preparation that I decided to try uh, on an Easter sermon before, and it was met with such success, and I mean success because I was changed. I'm talking about my own personal life. There was such radical success with it that I thought, let's try this for Christmas. It is a fantastic way to look through Scripture about what the true meaning of said holiday is. And, of course, today we're talking about Christmas. Isaiah 54 verses 4 and 8. To kind of give you a picture, I want you to kind of imagine uh, maybe a letter, you have like maybe, or a story, you have a prologue, you have like a body, and then you have an epilogue, right? Like at the end, okay? So we're going to have, use three different scripture passages I'm going to have you all turn to, and we're going to show through these three what the meaning of Christmas truly is. And As such, the prologue will be Isaiah 54, before our Lord was born. Isaiah chapter 54, looking at verses four through eight. Listen to the word of the Lord. Fear not, for you will be not ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will be not disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. True meaning of Christmas. We're looking at a passage directed to the children of Israel by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. And what do we know about the children of Israel? You can picture many things in your mind, right? These people were, were, were stubborn. They were rebellious. They, 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 they said when they were in trouble, oh, Lord God, save us. Only you can save us. You are our Lord, God, and King. And then what did they do immediately following? Right back. They're like a boomerang, right? You ever seen a boomerang? You ever thrown one of those? No? Okay, I'm the only one that's thrown a boomerang. Fantastic. So what you do with a boomerang is you take it and you throw it, right? Used for hunting in Australia, if you guys are... Uh, want to be more culturally sound, Australia hunts with these. You throw these things in the air, right? They go really, really far. It's like a spinning, almost like, you ever seen an arrow, the tip of an arrow? It's like a spinning, gigantic one of those, and you throw it by one end. And the boomerang, if thrown right, will take a huge circle and come exactly to the point where you just threw it. Often, the most skilled uh, boomerangists, if you can call them that, they will catch one that they literally just threw, which is Quite amazing. But Israel, the children of Israel, the people of God's own possession, were just like that. They would have these mountaintop moments. They would go and be conquering for the Lord and they would destroy kings and kingdoms. And then they would end up right back where they started. Just as helpless as if they were in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. Totally helpless, viewed as worthless. And by the Lord, he says that you're unfaithful to me. Now, I think we talked about this when I was last year, made a point that we so easily bash the Israelites without understanding how we ourselves are just like the Israelites, right? We're just like them. I can tell you countless times off both my hands here where I'm living for the Lord and then I'm sidetracked, right? Doing great. And then, nope, preach a sermon. Yell at the first dude that cuts me off out of the parking lot. Not from here, I promise. So someone someone else. Someone else in the community will, will, will find him later, don't we? Maybe he'll come here, maybe we can, we can bring him here. <laughs> but we are like the children of Israel. And if we do not understand the true meaning of Christmas, said elsewhere in Isaiah, we will not understand this redemption that's at stake. We view it as eloquent poetry, wonderfully written, but we don't understand that Israel in their own right has changed nothing here. Nothing at all. And according to what covenants were like promises, this should be two-sided. If I'm doing, if God should be saying, okay, if I'm doing this, then you're going to do this. We've got to be halfway here, right? That's what we say often uh, in terms of marriage, right? Compromise. You've got to be two-way here, right? I mean, what kind of marriage does that look like? If, we're, if one spouse is going just one way and the other one's sitting right where they are because they're not moving. And don't look at each other when I say that. Because no one does that, of course. But um, a covenant is, is two sides. You meet right, just in the same way that when Abraham watched, probably in a in a slumbered, hazy shock, God does the actions and the necessity to fulfill the covenant for both parties. Though I was overwhelmed, in paraphrasing, though I was overwhelmed with anger, right? Though I had overflowing anger against you, Israel, yet. I am your Redeemer. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now, how is this redemption going to occur? You remember Isaiah again, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Don't have to turn there, but he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Guys, the meaning of Christmas a meaning that does not negate Christmas to just one day, does not relegate it to one day, is that it is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the meaning of Christmas. Meaning of Christmas isn't gifts. Gifts are awesome, right? They are amazing. I got a steel tip dartboard yesterday. Do you guys know how amazing gifts can be? You get a dartboard that is heavy as you are. Gifts are amazing. Meaning of Christmas is not gifts. The meaning of Christmas is not kind deeds. I know the kindest deeds that have been done to me ever are by people who are not saved. Kind kind deeds don't save. It's not the meaning of Christmas, right? It, 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 it's not having means. Oh, my goodness. Uh, some, some people with the most means, they have the most amazing Christmas display, right? I know this one, This one, actually he's a friend of mine who lives in Lynchburg where I come from, and this guy has so many lights, I mean so many lights, it's visible from streets over, it's He's already attracted Lynchburg news crews because literally nothing goes on out there. They literally come out and they just look at this guy's house. People drive by. There was a car accident last week because too many people were looking at his stuff. This guy has means. He's dedicated to means. Do you think that just because of that, I, I have to be in a drudgery going, oh my goodness, he's going to have such a better Christmas than me. He has means. No. The meaning of Christmas is not wealth. It's not resources. The meaning of Christmas can be summed up in four words. God is with us. And the reason that he's with us, and we say this, not the reason he's with us, the reason that we can rejoice in that he's with us is how it changes our outlook. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're now in the body part, if you will the body part of the sermon. Luke chapter 2, not the Luke chapter 2 part you think we're going to read, though. Go to chapter, uh, verse 15, the little-known verses of Luke chapter 2. 15, we're going to read a few verses throughout 15 to 38. There are some very important points that we often miss at the tail end of this chapter here. Luke chapter 2, 15 through 38. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay, there's gonna be four points of application through the rest of this chapter. We'll begin with the first one right now of how the meaning of Christmas changes our lives. If you need to write that down, please feel free to do so. How the meaning of Christmas affects lives. Our lives. Number one, live in humble obedience, like the shepherds. You must live in humble obedience, like the shepherds. Notice something here. They say when the angels went away from them. So we're 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 even glossing over uh, the absolute magnitude of what just happened. These lowly shepherds literally got blasted out of their sheep field, right, by these angels. It's just something so unbelievable happened. Like, it's just, it's not even almost comprehensible for us. We just, we're so traditional and we read it. Oh, the angels and glory and the Chelsea's day. Okay, cool, good. Shepherds went away and they obeyed. Okay, but are we aware of what just happened to them? And their response, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I want to make a clarification here that they're not just listening, they're hearing Here's why I'm saying this. Hearing is listening plus obeying, right? We can listen and understand what someone's saying if we're not doing it. In fact, some of the original languages, that's what hearing means. When, When they say, hear the word of the Lord, they're not saying, okay, sit here and get every syllable of what I'm reading to you. They're saying, hear the word of the Lord. Like, listen, and then go do what he says to do. Be who he says to be. Have your life changed according to what he is convicting you of. Here is like a complicated term in this in this instance. The shepherds did that. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the shepherds almost have, almost have no idea what they're looking for. I say that because they, they, they hear that they're looking for a baby, but I mean, their minds must be totally confounded at this point. And in the same manner, so are we often confounded by what God tells us to do. Have any of you all, I'm sure this is a rhetorical question, have any of you all had a time in your life where God tells you to do something and you're like, what? Right? Like that's in left field. I did not see that coming, right? And you almost wonder: Is this like? Is this real? Is God calling me to this? This doesn't seem like He called me to this. Am I supposed to obey in this moment, or am I supposed to follow what I think my own will is? Because you know, I know what's going on. I'm actually living my life. We are to live in humble obedience, like the shepherds. I would argue that one cannot really, that one cannot be humble without true obedience. I would also caution us because I think that one can be obedient without truly being humble. You see this example a lot in children, right? It's so funny. They'll be like, young man, go make your bed. Go make your bed. Oh, mom, make my bed. No. Young man, I'm telling your father, go make your bed. No, mom, Charlie, so-and-so's not listening. And dad comes thundering down from upstairs and the boy's like, oh. And then he makes his bed, and what does he do? Does he make it nice and gracefully? Does he do what he said he would was told to do? He's going to do the bare minimum. You know what this dude's doing, right? He flips it over, he beats his pillow into submission, and throws it on there. And then as he leaves, he almost does a little, you know, fine, right? Is there humility in that obedience? I, I don't think so. I, I, I surely hope the parents don't find humility in there. In that obedience. Did he obey? Yes. I would caution us as believers to to at least live our lives as if there can be obedience without humility. Do not simply seek the low and the minimum standard of Christianity. Um, this, This is a topic that one of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler, talks at length about and if you guys know Matt Chandler, he doesn't really mince words. Um, he is very adamantly uh, against the typical traditions and uh, eventually self-proclaimed doctrines of this region in the Bible Belt, where he says that everybody goes to church in the Bible Belt twice a year, but they everyone goes, right? And everyone says they believe in God. They... They pray over a meal once every week, but like everyone believes in God. And what he basically says is, if that is the tradition and the doctrines that you live on in the Bible Belt, you should consider yourself lost. Because meeting the bare minimum, if you will, of Christianity, meeting the bare minimum of saying lip service to Christ, not only is there no humility in that, there might not even be true obedience in that at all. And there, and there is no heart longing after Jesus. You know, in, the, in, the, in the meaning of Christmas, God with us. We do realize that that does not just mean Jesus born in the manger. It means Jesus born into our hearts. That the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, taking up residence in His new temple, which is our own bodies. And that as we truly prepare uh, figuratively for that first coming of Christ every year, right? We truly and physically and spiritually, mentally, all the above, prepare for his second coming as believers, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Live in humble obedience like the shepherds. Point number two, let's read, continue on. uh, Skip down to verse um, 25. And when you skip down to 25... Jesus has now been circumcised. He's not a brand newborn. He's still what we would call super, super young. I remember uh, my, my, my son is almost five months, and I remember what he was like in the first couple weeks of life. And although he was not... Newborn, he was a newborn. If you can understand how what Jesus must be like as a baby in this time. We go on to verse 25. When they go to to purify him according to the law of Moses for purification. In verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, don't miss this, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Point number two, live in faith like Simeon. Live in faith like this man, Simeon. Let's get an accurate picture of what Mary and Joseph are going through, right? You ever, had a, you ever had a baby? You know what's going on. Now, imagine the resources that we have today gone, wiped clean, removed, right? You got all these laws to fulfill. You live in, in, in an area that can be rather desolate weather-wise. I'm being very delicate when I say that. It got downright crazy at times with the heat there. Imagine a newborn baby, the fussing, the, 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 the difficulty in just being a new parent. And they're going to, for the law of purification, eight days old, give or take, and they take him in to fulfill the law requirements. Now imagine they're walking in and this, this random guy just snatches their baby. This older guy, you're probably thinking, I think he's had a little too much too much going on today. I think he needs to calm down here. He's, he just grabbed someone's kid. Like, and then they hear the words that this man probably neglected by a lot of the world and culture, I might add, says, Lord, right there, that would have made them pause, right there. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared a light of revelation and glory to Israel. Now, let's think about this. Mary and Joseph are doing their routine, right? They might be bogged down by it. They got to take the child and purify him according to the law of Moses. They got to, they go on to the next responsibility. And then they see this glimpse of somebody disregarded by society, thought of as, you know, he probably was thought of as the old crazy guy who was friendly to everybody. That's probably what the culture was thinking of him, you know, He's just kind of sitting there, you know, probably some of the unkind people were probably literally thinking, man, when is this guy going to go on? Like this guy is just clinging to life here. He's just going and he keeps talking and he says these things and he talks about being in the spirit and whatever. And I'm sure he was disregarded by the religious teachers of the day. And yet he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart because I am having full faith that you have brought salvation for your people Israel. Notice being led by the Spirit. Yes, this man was old. Yes, this man was not highly regarded. Yes, this man was living in the Spirit. This is an easy question for us, but are we living in the Spirit today? We have this weird conception of living in the Spirit means we're, you know, super charismatic and we're, you know, swinging from these poles over here and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, living in the Spirit is being guided by the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Can we get that weird picture out of our minds, please, right? This is, this is a big deal here. To, to misunderstand this is to misunderstand being led by the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we are to be led by the Spirit as believers. This man was righteous and devout he was because he was living according to the Spirit's leading, according to the guidance of God. And may we, in likewise manner, live in faith like Simeon. I love this quote from Alistair Begg. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Love his resources. He says, "...the Christian faith engages our minds." This is something that we have to keep reminding ourselves of because otherwise we will allow our minds to fossilize and will fail to make progress. Fantastic quote. Because this life we live is a journey, a journey that is difficult. Am I right? We know difficulties we've been through in this year. Sometimes we're, we look around and go, Lord, it's, it seems easier. If I live by the world, why is it so difficult? And God says, exactly, have you read my word? Where it says, the way to me is narrow and steep and filled with thorns and all hardships and and shortcomings and and failing of yourself and, and your own sin, which as Paul said, just bogs him down. Like, Lord, why am I in this body of death? However, There is joy in such suffering. There is fullness of joy because that leads us towards God's presence in faith. I don't know about you. When I think of faith, I think of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, wonderful chapter, sometimes a rather confusing chapter. You're reading some of these stories and you're like, what, this guy? Really? Whole other sermon, whole other thing there. But I love how he defines faith. Now, faith is, is the assurance of what has been hoped for, the conviction of what is yet not seen. Basically an oxymoron, right? If you're one of those crazy smart theologian people, you probably go, well, that helped me out not at all. That literally just was a big twister, big pretzel definition there. In that verse, we see that faith confounds the world. But yet in the same chapter, he says, without such faith, it is impossible to please God. Because whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I guarantee you Simeon thought this. I guarantee you Simeon knew this. And his life, though potential distractions all around, right, as the cares of this world were there, as he probably, uh, for not proclaiming Christ, could have been more popular, that he maybe could have had more pleasures on this earth, he said no. And he was rewarded right before his death. Live in faith like Simeon. So we have number one, live in humble obedience like the shepherds. Number two, live in faith like Simeon. Number three, live in perseverance like Anna. Live in perseverance like Anna. Skip down. First, just read verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Likewise, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Key part, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You can see here, Anna has been through a lot. She's been through a lot. She's also older, and in this culture, she's an older woman, which means many implications, which guarantees that she's not thought of as popular, guarantees she's not thought of as having means. If anything, it says that she's a widow. So now, guess what? She goes from caring about the needy to being one of the needy. She becomes that flat, cut-out character that nobody thinks of, but everybody generally helps when they give their little couple coins in the offering, right? She becomes that. She's been through a lot, and yet she has persevered. And coming up at that very hour that Mary and Joseph were just there with Simeon, she comes out and totally prophesies and gives thanks to God and speaking of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We must live, point number three, live in perseverance like Anna. These are characters that aren't brought up much, are they? We don't think about the shepherds enough after the angels arrive. We don't think about Simeon. I guarantee you we don't think about Anna. We don't talk about her at all, which is so sad. But we must understand that perseverance often requires difficulty and persecution. Paul speaks of this to Timothy. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. Also speaks of what we talked about already, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope in Jesus Christ does not put us to shame. Hope, true faith comes from suffering, persevering in the Lord's strength through suffering. It bears a note here that we say persevere, we definitely don't mean persevere in your own strength. Some things that are noble are, are just plain stupid, right? I mean, you, you, it's great if you're trying on your own. Some of you I know, not because I know and see all things, that's creepy, but because I, I know there are people in this room, that's what I meant to say. I know there are people in this room who are trying, and they're trying. you're trying really hard, and you're trying on your own, and you're making an A-plus, you know, T for team effort here, right? But it's just not working. But then what do we, what do, we do in our human flesh? I'm laughing at myself, I promise. They li- literally do it again, the exact same thing. I mean carbon copy. Like, I could write books of my model for success that has not worked, Right? It just, you do it over and over again. And we, and we by popular definition, that's called insanity. <laughs> Literally doing the same thing, expecting results that are far different. But yet, we just try to do it on our own. I not only encourage, but implore, beg each of you today, when you, not if, when you persevere, you must do so through Christ's strength. So we see the first three, living in humble obedience like the shepherds living in faith like Simeon, living in perseverance like Anna, and then as this little thought that's kind of sprinkled into this chapter, live with remembrance like Mary. There's much wisdom in this, and we, we neglect these verses. Going back to verse eight nineteen, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And we'll say that throughout the Gospels in select instances, where Mary is remembering these things. They're being stored up. She's recalling them. Maybe somewhat with a puzzled thought, maybe. Uh, maybe sometimes maybe realizing later in Jesus' ministry. Oh, okay. Maybe the dots would connect later on. We also see that when Simeon blesses Jesus, he says to Mary, so Mary hears this, and it's much implied that she stores this up as well. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Mary hears these things. She ponders them. She remembers them. I would say, and I would even argue if need be, that we should likewise live in such remembrance. We've all made mistakes in our lives. We've all, uh, hopefully, are learning from our mistakes. I would echo this and extend this a little bit. Let's be watchful, and in, in a good way, let's learn from each other's mistakes. In such lies true community. You know how wise a person is? <laughs> There's a saying, I can't remember right now, I know I should have them on the tip of my tongue, but basically, you, are, you, are, you have knowledge and you are smart if you learn from your own mistakes but you are truly wise when you learn from someone else's mistakes. Because you're, you're watching, you're living life more on mission. You're not just kind of reacting, right? You're not just walking around, bumping into everything, like, oh, okay, don't do that again. You're, you're watching someone else bump into it, and you're like, oh, I can't go there, can't go there. And you're walking, guess what? Straight in the narrow, the narrow path of Christ. Not a narrow path of exclusivity, like we're better than everybody. No, a narrow path that is difficult and tough and trying and one without such humble obedience, such faith, such perseverance, and I would argue such remembering and having that uh, knowledge of remembrance almost in our own minds, that we won't realize what the true meaning of Christmas is. I've got to be honest with you. As a, as a pastor, especially one that's traveling right now, this is one of the crucial Sundays to preach on, really, I would argue. The Sunday right after a huge holiday where people just don't show up by the droves. And they just, not because that, that going to church saves you, but, but people just don't see the need to want to grow more. That the, by, by, by being here, like, I'm gonna grow in the knowledge of Christ, my brothers and sisters, so that I can be more equipped tomorrow, or some other time during the week, or next week if you're off work all week, uh, whenever. When I go back into my environment, and I see that person that's been bugging me all year, and I really don't like them, I can turn around and love them instead. I can turn around and have the love of Christ instead of my own faulty, imperfect mind and tongue when I speak words, right? My life will be changed. And as such, they say, this person, something is different. Something is very different. I know Christians. This does not seem like one of those Christians. It always breaks my heart when I hear people say, of other religions, comments that degrade Christianity because of the members, and it just makes me sad because it's something as simple as encountering a person who is professing and not living. It's just very sad. My, the, the one that makes me shiver to this day is, is a quote from Gandhi where he says, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Jesus, he seems, I don't, I don't know him. I'm not professing to know him. He seems solid. I mean, my goodness, his teachings are very eloquent, they actually kind of, although they don't, they don't make sense with, with my own religion, they, they kind of make sense for a little bit here. But I don't like the way these followers are behaving. Why are, why are you saying this and living this? I'm pretty sure this one guy who said he's a Christian is living the exact same way I am. So therefore, Jesus comes into my life and nothing changes. Um, Jesus, I'm fine. It's, it's, it's sad. And it, to me, it's just, it's, it's devastating But as believers, we, the other thing about this, we know the end result. (laughs) We know that we're not just an empty sense preparing for Christ's first coming and he's never coming back. Like, that's, we know that's not the case. We know he is coming back. And we are preparing traditionally again and again for his first coming because we are getting more and more seeking to be more motivated and prepared and enriched and growing for his second coming. Last scripture as we close. Turn with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, as we reach the epilogue, if you will, of this uh, type of sermon. Revelation chapter 22. Talk about a crazy and cool and just wonderful book of the Bible, Revelation. But all the way in the last chapter of the Bible, in fact, one of the last verses... Verses 16 through 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's referring to, to this free gift of salvation. And we're Christians, we as Christians, we mess this up all the time. We, we think because salvation part is free that the rest of life is free and devoid of any problems and we'll just get wonderful money and it'll rain from the sky and we'll just dance around holding hands. That's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. But, but we, then we overcompensate and we don't tell the lost and dying world that the gift of salvation has been offered. We, have a, we are living in a world full of just lack of peace and hopelessness. Everyone's turning to different things. People in professional sports are literally naming, renaming their last names, freedom, unity. Is there a better sign that we are nearer to the coming of Christ than ever before, that the world is desiring something to fill what they're missing and something to heal what is broken? And as believers, this is not it. This this moment right here is not the fullness of of our calling in Christ. This is the moment when we gather. We gain strength from one another. We We get super filled up with the strength of Christ and then we go explode into our communities and live our lives and people know that there's something different. And that's something different is what they want and what they want and need is Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is the meaning of Christmas. Christmas is a, a season of hope, a time of peace from our Prince of Peace. I pray it's also a time of salvation. Whether it is a time of salvation in the Lord, like, oh, I've, I've, never, I've never accepted Christ and this is the time I'm going to do that. That is amazing. But also it's a time of regeneration. And there are many of us who are in danger of letting this Christmas weekend pass us by without that regeneration. Throughout the ending of this service time, I want to echo that message that this is a time for you. We're going to close in prayer. We'll have a closing song. I want you guys to be thinking about that. Is that me? Am I in need of regeneration? of maybe it's not, okay, it's not like, okay, I'm going to come up in front of everybody. No, even in your seat, if this is the time of, I, Lord, I am empty before you. I have been living my life totally void of the true hope found in Jesus Christ. If that's you, I really, really, really hope and pray that this is the moment where you dedicate that part of your life. You recommit and say, Lord, I'm all yours. Lord, use me. As Isaiah said, use me. That's the true hope and meaning and spirit of Christmas. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that in your word, the power that is displayed. We thank you for the hope found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are our Redeemer. Though we've done nothing to deserve it, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before Christ died for us, Christ was born in a lowly manger. No fanfare, no no recognition from anybody in the world, seen as just a poor baby off to the side somewhere, yet salvation of man was dawning. Lord, as we live our lives, may we have that hope. May we be filled with such hope. May we live our lives changed because of, because of the baby born on Christmas Day. And one day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, may we do so gladly, joyfully, and expectantly because we have been waiting and we have been ready. Father, we pray for those who, if there's any here that need to recommit their lives to you today, if there's any that need to profess faith in you today, Lord, may today be that day. May we all as their church family be ready to surround them with love and care and guidance and discipleship, and that there may be through this church that strong community built within to reach the community outside. May you impact South Boston with the gospel, all of Virginia and the world. We love you, Lord, and thank you for the true hope Found through this season. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSOBO.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.